So this is March 6, 2009, here in Auckland. We're looking at how to overcome the modes of material nature. Well, you know, after Krishna describes the modes of material nature in chapters 13, 14, of course he describes them to a large extent in chapter 17, 18 as well. Then Arjuna says, in text 21, by what symptoms is one known who is transcendental to these three modes? What is his behavior? And how does he transcend the modes of material? That's helpful. Okay, now first Krishna gives the symptoms of one who's transcended the modes. We'll just read the English to this. He who does not hate illumination, attachment, and delusion when they are present. Illumination, attachment, and delusion. Who does not hate them when they are present. Or long for them when they disappear. Who is unwavering and undisturbed through all these reactions of the material qualities. Remaining neutral and transcendental. Knowing that the modes alone are active. Who is situated in the self and regards alike happiness and distress who looks upon a lump of earth, a stone, and a piece of gold with an equal eye, who is equal toward the desirable and the undesirable, who is steady, situated equally well in praise and blame, honor and dishonor, who treats alike both friend and enemy, and who has renounced all material activities, such a person is said to have transcended the modes of nature. So those are the symptoms. Of course, those symptoms are given elsewhere in the Bhagavad Gita. They're given at the end of the second chapter, they're given in the sixth chapter, they're given at the end of the twelfth chapter. And then how to do it, Mamcha Yogi Abhicharina, Bhakti Yogi Nasevate, Sagunan Samatichaitam, Brahma Bhuyai Kalpate, one who engages in full devotional service, unfailing in all circumstances, at once transcends the modes of material nature and thus comes to the level of Brahma. So Prabhupada says something interesting in this purport to text 22 to 25. When a living entity stays in this material world embodied by the material body, it is to be understood that he is under the control of one of the three modes of material nature. When he is actually out of the body, then he is out of the clutches of the material modes of nature. But as long as he is not out of the material body, he should be neutral. He should engage himself in the devotional service of the Lord so that his identity with the material body will automatically be forgotten. When one is conscious of the material body, he acts only for sense gratification. But when one transfers the consciousness to Krishna, sense gratification automatically stops. One does not need this material body, and he does not need to accept the dictations of the material body. The qualities of the material modes in the body will act, but his spirit soul, the self, is aloof from such activities. How does he become aloof? He does not desire to enjoy the body, nor does he desire to get out of it. That's karma and dhyana. Thus, transcendentally situated, the devotee becomes automatically free. He need not try to become free from the influence of the modes of material nature. So there's several important points there. As long as we have this material body, we're going to be affected by the modes of nature. That's not going to stop. The body and the mind will be affected. You know, as long as you live in Auckland, you're going to be affected by the weather of Auckland. It's going to go on. You're not going to have the weather of 
Calcutta. <laughs> you're going to have the wetter of Auckland. So as long as we're in this body, the modes are going to affect the body and mind. And Prabhupada is saying, it depends what you're conscious of. Are you conscious of the body or are you conscious of Krishna? This is it's not a difficult thing to understand. It's like you can be working in an office where everybody's talking about the latest football game or the latest movie star, but that's not where your consciousness is. Your consciousness is someplace else. Therefore, you're not affected by the emotions. People may be having a very emotional discussion about what team won and what's going on with this person. But if you're not interested in that, if it doesn't matter to you, if you're not emotionally invested, if your happiness is not dependent on what team won or what movie star got divorced or what politician is in office, if, you're, if your happiness is coming from something else, then although these conversations are going on around you and people may be having very heated arguments or very enthusiastic celebrations, you're not affected by it. Right? It's, it's not a difficult thing to understand. You, know, you, go, you go on an airplane and someone on the plane is yelling at the stewardess, I want to sit on another seat. <laughs> but it doesn't, it's not affecting you. You're able to sit there and, and peacefully sit in your seat because you, you don't have any attachment to this person. You don't have any investment in this person. Your consciousness is elsewhere. So we're all able to do this. We're all able to be thinking about and having our emotional attachment to something other than our immediate surroundings. Everybody can do that, especially if the thing that we're thinking about is something we really care about. Something we're either in a lot of anxiety about or a lot of happiness about. If you're about to go on a trip to India tomorrow, then you're probably thinking about that instead of what's going on here in this room. You're thinking, okay, I hope it ends because I've got to do this with my ticket and I still have to pack. And, and you're not so, you're not even noticing what's happening around you. You hardly even hear what's happening around you, just sort of official. So Prabhupada says all of us have this attachment to something. And the point is to make that attachment to the spiritual, then we're not affected by the material. We can also ask, why are we under the control of the modes of nature altogether? Why are we in that position? So just earlier today, I was having a conversation with the fact that two people seeing the same thing see something different. A criminal sees an old person and thinks, oh, it's a good target. Someone I can easily steal from. That's how they're seeing it. Oh, here's some old lady who can't walk very well and she has a pocketbook, she has a purse. Easy, I can just snatch it out of her hand. And someone else sees the same person and thinks, oh, here's someone I should help. Uh, just like, you know, we see, we see the sewers, an open sewer in India, and we think, let me stay away from it. And the hog thinks, let me go swim in it. So our desires lead us to be covered by different modes of nature. If I want to steal, then I become covered by the mode of ignorance. So I see a frail person as a target. Or I see the sewer as food. 
The reason that I perceive things like that is because of my own inner desires. And eko bahunam yovidadatikaman. Depending on my desires, Krishna covers me with the modes of nature that allow me to fulfill those desires. If I see things as they are, then I'm not going to see a frail person as a victim or a sewer as food, if I see the truth. But because I want to see that, therefore I become covered. And of course, once I'm covered, then I'm led to do things that lead to misery. Krishna says the mode of ignorance is just unabated misery and passion is mixed happiness and distress and mode of goodness is pretty much happiness. So ultimately, the way I get free from the modes is by changing my desires. If I want to see the truth, the modes are covering the truth. Why can't people see Krishna? Everything ultimately is Krishna. It's only Krishna everywhere. Because I don't want to see him. I want to see something different. So I'm covered by illusion. And then I'm subjected to illusion. Very simple example. I'm that they say now with the economic downturn that movie tickets are selling very well. One of the industries that's doing very, very well is the movie industry. Why? Because people don't want to see their real life. <laughs> their real life is depressing. So they want to go to a movie. They don't want to see the truth. The truth is they look at their bank balance and it's going down and their stocks are losing value and so many things. So they want to be covered by illusion. Therefore, they enter the movie theater. But once you enter the movie theater, then you're swept along by the emotions that the producer wants you to be swept along by. That's what you want. You want to feel worried when the hero is captured, and you want to feel excited when the hero gets the girl or whatever. So you're influenced by that. You're going on the waves of happiness and distress of this illusion. But if you want to see the truth, First of all, you won't walk into the movie theater. But if you want to see the truth, even sitting in the movie theater, it's, you're just going to think it's a movie. It's not really happening. Some lights, some actors. Isn't it? One of the things that happens to us when we start chanting Hare Krishna in the very beginning is we start to lose our interest in these things. As soon as you start chanting Hare Krishna, you go and try to turn on the television, and you're thinking, this is really boring. <laughs> this is really stupid. I don't even care how it turns out. Turn it off. So when we want to see the truth, then we're no longer interested in being covered by the modes of nature. Now, unfortunately, because we wanted falsity, because we wanted illusion, we have to live out our term in this body. But the devotee, as Prabhupada says here, neither wants to enjoy the body nor does he even care about getting out of it. He's willing to, okay, this is my fit punishment because I want the illusion, therefore I have to suffer in this body and mind for some time until my term is out. But let me internally have the consciousness of being fixed on Krishna. 
And if I have that without a break, as Krishna is saying, in all circumstances, avyabhicharanya, all circumstances, when the mode of goodness is there and everything is illuminated and happy and beautiful and peaceful and truthful, when the mode of ignorance is predominant and there's delusion and despair, when the mode of passion is dominant and there's activity and desires for honor, whatever modes are playing around me, I say, you know, Krishna, <laughs> I will tolerate that this is happening to the body and mind and I'll fix myself on your lotus feet. And how to do that? Well, it's really a question of chanting Hare Krishna, <laughs> which one can do at least internally in all circumstances, and seeing everything in relationship to Krishna, which you can do if you chant and if you read the Shastra. In the scripture, Krishna is telling us how to see the sunshine, the light in this room is related to him, the space, the air, the wind, the plants, all the living entities, everything is in relationship to Krishna. How to have everything remind us of Krishna, Krishna's greatness, Krishna's pastimes, Krishna's qualities, the philosophy that Krishna is teaching. Everything around us, even the things that... It's interesting when Uddhava is speaking to the gopis and he's talking about how everything is actually a manifestation of Krishna. And Prabhupada says there that the ability to think and remember our mental abilities are also a manifestation of Krishna. Krishna lists the gross and subtle elements as a manifestation of him. And Prabhupada says, if you have the ability to think, then you're in touch with Krishna, because Krishna is that ability to think. Well, like here in Auckland, at least at the farm, you see the tide coming in, right? You all know there's that arm of the ocean, and twice a day it's just mud, and twice a day it's filled with water. So you just look at that, and you can think of how in the Bhagavatam it says that the tides are re the reason that there's tides is that the ocean is remembering the breathing of Kurma in the ocean of milk breathing in or you can think about Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati's purport to the Brahma Samhita which Prabhupada reads the whole show is only temporary right there's rain and with the rain there's produ production of vegetation of course this is particularly true in India where there's a rainy season and a dry season then after the rains then all the vegetation dries so you think of it, the tides come in, and then there's water, and the water birds, and at least in Auckland, then there's the boats and the water skiers, and the tide goes out, and there's just mud. So there's a creation, and there's variety, and then everything goes. So you can look at the tide and thinking, yes, this is just like the progression of Krishna consciousness. First we start out just muddy and empty and dry, and there's a little, little stream of water. It's a little stream. And slowly the stream widens, and pretty soon there's more arms of it. And slowly, slowly, and after a while, it's a raging torrent of water. So anything, uh, whether it's the work you're doing, the people with whom you're associating, your own physical ability, your own mental ability, the environment around you, once you develop love for Krishna, everything can remind you of Krishna. And then you're in a consciousness of Krishna, 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 Krishna. And your consciousness, Prabhupada says, your consciousness then is not on the world. Your consciousness is not on the body, it's not on the mind, it's not on the this, it's on Krishna. So as I say, we can all do that, even materially speaking. We're all capable of doing that. In fact, we do it all the time. We have our consciousness on this or that as we desire. So it's a question just of doing it to Krishna. And one can do that in any ashram. 
It's not that one ashram is more conducive than another. One ashram is more conducive than another for a particular person at a particular time in their life. So we could talk about this is the best ashram, or this is the best varna, or this is the best circumstance. But really what's best is what's best for a particular individual at a particular point. And entering into the grahasta ashram is the most natural way to absorb the mind in Krishna for someone who's in the youthful period of life. Age about 15 to 50. One is then working with the natural inclination of the body and mind and using that naturally in Krishna's service. So for most people, that is the most conducive. Is that okay? That was about 20 minutes. Stuck to my time limit. Do you want to have any discussion? It's up to the What would you call them? The, the future bride and bridegroom? The about-to-be-engaged couple? Do you want to have any? I don't know if there's a word for that. The two fiancés of each other, almost. <laughs> Do you want to have any time for discussion, or should I just stop? You decide. Whatever you like. Maybe you can just enlighten uh, us, like you are doing. How long a discussion do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Elements of success in Grahasta Ashram. Okay, well, Prabhupada talks about In the 16th chapter, Divine and Demoniac Natures, when Krishna is describing, there's three places in Bhagavad Gita. Let's see the people who've been coming to my Bhagavad Gita class here. What are the three places in the Bhagavad Gita? I don't have very many of those people here in this room. Though. The three places in the Bhagavad Gita where there's a description of qualities and Prabhupada gives a purport where he explains each of those qualities. Who can remember? Thirteenth chapter, good. Text 8 to 12. Chapter 10, yes, and chapter 16, text 3, where Krishna gives the qualities of the divine. And in this particular, in each of those purports, Srila Prabhupada talks about the different qualities Krishna mentions and defines them and gives examples of them. But what's especially interesting in his purport to 16.3 is that Srila Prabhupada relates each of these qualities to a varna or ashrama. So, does anyone know what qualities Prabhupada says are particularly important for the grahastas? Charity. charity, yes. Because the brahmacharis, vanaprastas, and sannyasis are not to, meant to engage in any kind of economic development. The brahmachari is supposed to be studying. In every society, the student is supposed to be studying. We don't expect that a student has to get a, a job. Or do you guys say job like they do in the UK? Job. A student doesn't have to have a job. Of course, once you get to be an older student, you often have to have a job to pay for your education. But generally, a student is just supposed to focus on study, and the Vanaprasta and sannyasi are supposed to be engaged in austerity and in preaching. So they don't have any economic development. Uh, therefore, 
if the grahasta doesn't give charity to the other orders, they can't survive. It's not possible for them to survive. So charity. And you can also give charity, by the way, uh, grahasta brahmanas can also accept charity. So the only grahastas that can accept charity are the Brahmin grahastas. They're not so encouraged to do that. And Prabhupada sometimes says that if a grahasta wants to live on charity as a Brahmin, then they have to, whatever they get that day, they use what they need and they give the rest away that day. That's pretty austere. I don't know practically anybody who lives like that. That's what he talks about. So charity. Okay. And that's very important because if you're giving in charity... Then when you're working, let's say that you earn, I don't know, what's a reasonable wage here? $30 an hour for a professional? Is that good? Okay. So let's say you earn $30 an hour, and let's say you give $30 in charity. So you really gave that hour, didn't you? That $30 represents an hour of your energy. And when you're working at your job, even if, you don't see a relationship directly between your job and Krishna. You know, how can whatever you're doing, how can I relate this with Krishna? You're thinking, this hour of my energy is going directly to something for Krishna. That's a, a very, very easy way to connect. And people can also give your time directly. Charity isn't just money. <laughs> Charity also means the skills that you've learned at work. You can use those skills directly in Charity. You can say, okay, I'll volunteer. I'm normally a this or that, and I'm going to use those skills directly. I'll do something for the temple as free service, or I'll do something for some devotional project as free service. And you don't always have to give it, by the way, to somebody else. Charity also means you can worship the Lord in your home, and how much of your money and energy is going to that worship. So at least half of your energy should be going to worship of Krishna. At least half. So your own altar, or you can have your own project. It's not that you always have to give to somebody else's project. You know, start your own devotional project that you give at least half of your energy to. And sometimes it becomes so merged you can't even separate. You know, what's my grahasta life and what's my project? Some people can live like that, some people can't. Some people have a life where they don't even know, you know, what's the difference between my devotional life and my grahasta life? They start a temple in their home or a you know, restaurant in their home or a yoga studio in their home and the husband, wife, and children are all working for the project. And practically everything they're doing is going for their reaching project. So that's another way of giving charity. Charity does not always mean I take something out of my wallet and I hand it to somebody else, although that's certainly also nice. Okay, what else for the grahastas? Sacrifices. Of course, Krishna says in the 18th chapter that sacrifice, charity, and austerity should never be given up by anybody. So everybody should engage in all those, but especially the grahastas are engaged in sacrifice, again, because sacrifice often requires some sort of money. And the grahastas are supposed to do that also because the grahastas are naturally engaged in some externally materialistic activities. Those need to be purified. And Prabhupada gives a list in Krishna book in relationship to either Vasudev or Nandamaraj giving in charity, how one can purify each of the how one can purify one's duration of life and one's wealth and one's works. I don't remember that off the top of my head. But certainly facilitating sacrifices, and of course the main sacrifice we're doing is the Sankirtan Jagya. 
So grahastas should be engaged in sankirtan at a temple or at home. Prabhupada says ideally morning and evening. And it's a it's very uh, easy. You just need a mouth and ears and you can crack. You know, you don't even need a harmonium or even kartans. Your hands are sufficient for that sacrifice. Okay, and what else do the grahastas should do? And that's particularly mentioned in regard to Vaishas, to Grahastas who are in Vaishas. Uh, socha means cleanliness, not only in mind and body, but in one's dealings also. It is especially meant for the mercantile people who should not deal in the black market. In other words, have an honest means of livelihood. So the Grahastas should have an honest means of livelihood, and especially the Vaishas are tempted to have dishonest means of livelihood. It's a strong temptation for vices. Cut corners here, cut corners there, cheat on this, cheat on that, don't pay my taxes. And we see this tendency even among devotees. Let me, you know, have some illegal means of livelihood and not pay my taxes and skimp on this or that. In the story of Magrari the hunter, uh, who made his living by killing animals, Narada came to him and said, throw away your bow. <laughs> And he said, if I throw away my bow, how will I be maintained? And Prabhupada says there in that purport, Krishna is maintaining each of us, and our, our occupation is simply our choice. He said, if you choose to work as a brahmana, Krishna will maintain you as a brahmana, and if you choose to work as a hunter, Krishna will maintain you as a hunter. So what you're going to get, you're going to get. That requires a lot of faith. What I'm going to get, I'm going to get. What I'm going to get, I'm going to get. Krishna is maintaining me. You choose your, your occupation is your choice. So you choose something that's in accord with your nature and choose an honest livelihood and don't be afraid that if I choose an honest livelihood, if I do something honest that Krishna won't take care of me. Don't do, this is our cheating tendency as a conditioned soul. Well, if I do something honest, I won't get enough money to pay my bills. What you're going to get, you're going to get. You can say, well, I see people cheat and get more money. My answer to that is, okay, maybe. But do they have really a higher standard of living or higher enjoyment. When it talks about how much wealth you have, it doesn't just mean how much money you bring in, because your wealth isn't just how much money you bring in. Your wealth has to do with the relationship of your income to your outgo. So you can be bringing in a lot of money, but Krishna can arrange your outgo. <laughs> yeah, you can cheat. You can cheat and bring in more income, but I'll tell you, you have no control over that outgo. Krishna wants the outgo to be high. You can have medical expenses, this, that, the other thing, legal expenses. Prabhupada talks about those two, medical and legal. And you don't have any control over that. This or that can happen, that catastrophe. You know, and you're making all this money and somehow you don't have anything. I've seen this so many times. Or, you know, you have a big income, but you're working so hard for the income, you have no time to enjoy the income. You don't even know you have the income. You're coming back to your beautiful, gorgeous mansion at 10.30 every night, and all you can do is go to sleep. You might as well be sleeping in a cheap hotel. <laughs> you don't even notice. We used to live next to one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in America. And often, you know who's the only one who's home all day? The dog. <laughs> Believe me, the dog doesn't notice. You know? As long as the dog has a nice warm place to sleep and some food to eat, the dog doesn't notice that there's 34 bedrooms in the house. Right? Woman's working, man's working, children are out all day. 
So yeah, by cheating, maybe you have a big income, but your enjoyment and your standard of living is really not very high. So those things are arranged by Krishna. What kind of enjoyment you're going to get from your livelihood, what kind of standard of living you have, that's already, that's Krishna's hands. <coughs> that's in Krishna's hands. So do an honest living, and what you can make from an honest living. And honest living also means a reasonable amount of hours. I knew one devotee who owned three properties and was working at more than that number of jobs and was putting in 80 hours a week. I said, Prabhu, what are you doing this for? He said, my children. I said, do you see your children? And little footnote, his children did not turn out very good. Never saw his children, never saw his wife. Doing this, I'm doing this for the children, I'm doing this for the wife. Yeah, but I never sit down and talk to them. It's like, you know, I'm working hard for Krishna, but I never sit down and talk to him and have a personal relationship. So Prabhupada says, you know, work like eight hours a day, not crazy work. Crazy work. You will not increase your happiness anyway. It will not happen. You know, you'll put in more hours, whatever, and you won't be any happier than you would have put in. So you do an honest work, an honest day, you save time to be with Krishna, and whatever Krishna provides, he provides. Now, if I did that, then I'll be out on the street. Then you'll be out on the street. It's not in your control anyway. Even if you work hard and you work 80 hours a week, you know what? If Krishna wants you out on the street, you'll be out on the street. He can take away your home like that if he wants to. There's a tsunami and finish. Fire and finish. That's not under your control. Anyway, Krishna doesn't usually put us out on the street. It's not usually that way. So this cleanliness in one's work, honest work, very difficult to do. Very, very difficult. Okay? What else for the... But very satisfying if you do it. Very satisfying. A deep feeling of freedom. Prabhupada says the happiness in the mode of goodness is mostly the sense of being free from sinful activities and sinful reactions. So when you have an honest means of livelihood, you feel very free. And what else in relationship to the Grahastashram? It's at least one more. Receiving gifts. Yes. Yes, although that isn't mentioned in this purport. Yes, certainly the grahastas should receive gifts. Prabhupada talked about how uh, that's a kind of, I think it's a, maybe in the category of charity. Prabhupada talked about how his father was not a wealthy man, but they never had less than four guests at their house. And Prabhupada himself as a grahasta maintained a large number of people who maintained his widowed sister and her son. And even though he didn't have a very large income and other family members, it's a I think at one point he said he was maintaining more than 10 people. Prabhupada talked about how there was an artificial increase in the price of rice. It went up like 10 times. And Prabhupada said even then, in his household he was maintaining at least 10 people, I think 10 or 15 people, but he had no difficulty buying the rice, although his income was not technically speaking very great. So yes, certainly having guests. One thing I've noticed, this is not Shastra, but just my own personal noticing, is that when Grahastas has guests, it forces you to like clean your house. And be organized. This all. One thing by having guests, and, and this is talked about in the Bhagavatam, is that having guests helps the man especially to lessen his idea of possessing his house and his wife. 
you know, that my wife is being is utilized to cook for the guests and to serve the guests. She's not just my possession for my enjoyment. You know, my money's being used to feed the guests. Okay? What's the other thing mentioned in this purport? Not austerity per se, but a particular type of austerity. Austerity in general is meant especially for the Vanaprastas. Uh, but self-control, Dhamma. So, of course, everyone is meant to control themselves. But grahasta life means that you're surrounding yourself with the facility for sense enjoyment. And Prabhupada says in a number of places that some sense enjoyment is required. He said it's like salt. If you don't put any salt in your food, it's, it has no taste. <laughs> right? it's, and without taste, according to Ayurveda, if you don't have a certain taste in the mouth, your digestion of that food is not the same. Digestion depends on two levels of taste, taste in the mouth, and then there's a secondary level of taste in the stomach. So too much salt, of course. Sometimes in the kitchen, they don't label the salt and the sugar. You know, in, in big temple kitchens, you don't keep the salt and the sugar in little containers. You empty it into these huge, whatever, you know, bins. And sometimes they're not properly marked. Or sometimes someone empties the wrong thing into the wrong container. Oh, Krishna. I once had a meal where the cook had mistakenly put in salt instead of sugar. Uh, when I was very new at cooking quantity for Sodom, and I was talking about this when I was talking about Tamal Krishnamars the other night, but when I was, I was drafted as the main cook at Gita Nagari, and I was, I'd cooked small amounts, but all of a sudden I'm cooking for how many devotees were there, maybe 60 or 70, and a lot of them were young men working in the fields all day, and they were hungry. <laughs> we were cooking large, large quantities, and there you measure the salt in handfuls, you know, how many handfuls of salt, and you have to remember, did I salt the subji or not? You know, did I put the salt in? <laughs> did I remember, you know, and if, if you... You salt it double. <laughs> so too much salt, it's inedible. And no salt, it's inedible. So one has to have the right amount of salt. Therefore, some sense gratification, even for the brahmachari, vanaprastha, and, and uh, sannyasi, there has to be some satisfaction in the senses. Has to be. I mean, unless you read a very interesting point of realization, which most people don't like. So the grahasta certainly has some salt, but one has to be careful not to take too much or you'll become sick. And then people are really sick and they have to have a diet with no salt. <laughs> so therefore, some sense control. So the tendency, I was just talking to one devotee who had just decided to go from the Brahmacharya ashram to the Grahasta ashram. He's a temple president very scholarly type, gets up at two in the morning, chants lots and lots of job, a wonderful, wonderful devotee, really wonderful devotee. And I said to him, so, you know, what kind of girl do you like? I said, I can keep my eyes open, maybe I'll find a nice girl for you. And he said, well, she should be somebody who's not going to expand my life too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He said, I just want to be a preacher. You know, I just want to go on preaching. I, he said, you know, can't be too much of a stree. And I said, you know, all women prefer a stree. And then I showed him some pictures of some girls. He said, none of them are pretty enough. I said, uh, okay. 
So this sense control, first I'll talk to the ladies. So the women tend to have this three quality. That whatever we get, we want more. Okay, I want a house here. You get the house. The husband gives you the house. Now my wife will be satisfied. Oh, Prabhu, now I need a bigger house. So he adds on to the house. Now my wife will be satisfied. She's satisfied for a week. Now I need this piece of furniture. Oh, now my wife will be satisfied. So to be careful of this. You know, you don't need 108 saris and 10 bedrooms and a fancy car. And it's a tendency of a woman to always want more and better material facility. Now, that tendency on the part of a woman is actually what gives the man impetus to go out and work. And men who don't need that impetus to go out and work don't need to get married. So brahmacharis who are really fired up to work and go out on the mission and get out of bed and work really, really hard without even subtle stuff from a woman, which is rare, by the way. Most renunciates, most so-called renunciates are getting subtle stuff from the opposite sex as a little side comment. But someone who can really do it, not just grossly, but even subtly, that doesn't need the cheerleading squad going, oh, you're so wonderful. Okay? That's a real renunciate. So the man needs a woman who's saying, um, dear, you know, this car hasn't worked for the last five years. Do you think you could get us a better one? Because that gets him out of bed and it gets him to work and do his dharma. But don't overdo it. Be, be aware that that's the tendency and don't overdo it. And one thing you can do is use your spree nature to want to increase the spiritual aspect of your life. Okay, Expand your love for Krishna, expand your love for the books, expand your love for chanting Hare Krishna. That Put your expansive nature to that. But not putting on the husband, I think you should be more Krishna conscious. Not like that. Don't do it that way either. Okay? And for the husband, this sense control uh, means also not to want to have the biggest and the best computer and this and that and the other thing and the fanciest house and to show off to everybody. And it means that, yes, you have to make sure your wife is happy. That's your duty to Krishna. Not that you'll ever make your wife happy, totally. But you do your best to please Krishna, not to please your wife, because you'll never absolutely please another jiva on the material platform. It won't happen but to do your best just to make Krishna happy and to contain that nature. One of the happiest couples that I know, happiest devotee couples that I know, the most wonderful, they're really wonderful. He said to me, the secret of happiness in the Grahasa Ashram is make sure that all of your wife's friends have a standard of living that you're willing to maintain. So, you know, be, you want to keep her happy, but still to keep that under control, not to let it rule your life and also to see your wife not as a machine to satisfy your senses that your relationship with you should see, see your wife as a person as another jiva who's a fellow soul who's on your journey in Krishna consciousness and yes you have some duty and responsibility to satisfy each other's senses but not as a machine not as okay here's somebody who's available whenever I want to satisfy my desires and that self-control has to come from the man, not the woman. The woman should not be the police officer for that in the marriage. That should come from the man. Okay. Right. So those are some ideals of how to become successful in the Grihasta Ashram. Is there anything else I can 
Put your happiness in Krishna. Don't, don't think the Grahasta Ashram is going to be the source of your happiness. Don't think this husband, this wife, these children, this house, this money, this, 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 that, that's going to be the source of my happiness. Krishna is going to be the source of my happiness. I'm doing this as part of my service. I'm doing this as, as part of my purification to please Guru and Krishna. Put your happiness in the pleasure of Guru and Krishna. That should be the source of your happiness. If you think my wife is the source of my happiness, my husband is the source of my happiness, my home, my children, my this and that, you'll be very frustrated and disappointed. Because nothing in this world is going to satisfy that ache in our heart. It's just not going to. I don't care. You can have the perfect wife, the perfect husband, the perfect children, the perfect home, the perfect this, the perfect that. You won't be satisfied. So is that all right? Now we've gone way over time. That was pretty short, actually, to answer that question. You know, the Grahas Division team has a four-day seminar to answer that question. So I hope that was okay. So I should end here. Thank you very much. Um, if I said anything that, was, that you didn't like, just ignore it. Okay, and I hope... But if I said anything that's useful or helpful, I hope that you can take it on board, and I hope that Krishna used me as his instrument to be of service to you. Thank you, Hare Krishna. Thank you. Thank you.